Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina asrafa amma ba'an. Allahumma allimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima allamtana wa zidna ilma. قال حدثنا عمر بن خالد قال حدثنا الليث عن يزيد عن ابي الخير عن عبد الله بن عمرو رضي الله عنهما ان رجلا سال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم اي الاسلام خير قال تطعم الطعام وتقرا السلام على من عرفت ومن لم تعرف وكما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم امان اس نبي صلى الله عليه وسلم اني سال اي الاسلام خير that which actions or which deeds of Islam are khair, are good. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, that you feed the poor, you feed food to the poor people, to those who are needy, to those who are hungry. And you say the salam, you greet those people, man those that you recognize, those whom you know, Uman lam ta'arif and those who you do not know. So last Monday we had uh, the program and the Monday before that as well. And then, uh, alhamdulillah, we discussed just the beginning portion of this hadith where we talked primarily about anna rajulan sa'ala, a man asked. So what type of people would come to ask questions and etiquettes of asking questions, etc. And then we went forward and we spoke a little bit about the tut'imu ta'am portion of the hadith. And the sahaba radiallahu anhu majma'in, how they used to feed people. And the anbiya alimu salam. And the tribe of the Banu Salama, that they regarded it uh, to be uh, impermissible to eat alone. But every single time, please, I, I prefer, I need the light for my notes. Okay, so uh, so a man, a man asked, uh, so he said, to feed, he likes to feed the uh, feeding the food, and to say salam on whom you know and whom you do not know. <clears throat> so, with respect to feeding the food, we talked about it last time. Just the last portion of this hadith remains, and we wrap it up tonight, inshallah, and then we will continue after Ramadan, inshallah. So in Ramadan, inshallah, we will, it's not that you know, we will not have the dars, we will have dars every single day, different types of dars, inshallah. <laughs> after every taraweeh, there will be dars, inshallah. Uh, after fajr, there will be dars. After, before maghrib, there will be dars. But this particular dars. So this last part, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying to say salam uh, on those whom you know and you do not know. <clears throat> so in the culture of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he was sent, when he was, his ba'atha was, he was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Jahiliyyah. It was an era of hostility. It was an era of, of uh, people's lives were in danger. And uh, just to survive, they had to enter into pacts called hilf. And so and so is a halifa, so and so. And this would mean that they would uh, have protection. That if I'm attacked, you need to defend me. So it was a tribal system. 
every tribe, irrespective of whether you're a member of your tribe, committed atrocity or not, was the aggressor or not, you have to defend your tribe member blindly. Um, and if there are individuals who came from outside who did not have a tribe, then they would have to enter into a pact with the uh, tribes of the area where they are living. And there are those people who are cut off from their society, from their homeland, from their parents, from their family. They were sold into slavery and bondage. Then when they would be freed, they would be considered uh, the mawali, the freed slaves. So they would also have a understood pact with the tribe who has freed them. Um, so they would come to the de defense. If their master or any family member of their master was attacked, they would defend them. And if they would be attacked, then the family uh, or the tribe of the one who freed the slave would come to his aid. But it was impossible uh, to survive without having that support network, without having some backup. Because then you would be killed, you would be murdered, you would be assassinated, you would be robbed, your property would be taken, and no one would be there to question or help. That is why we see in the Quran, uh, in Surah Walayli, the Yaksha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about different categories of people. In Nasa'iyakum Lashatta, that the efforts people make, the struggles people are making are different in nature. Everyone is making an effort. Some are making effort for the dunya and some are making effort for the akhirah. Walayli ida yaksha, Allah swears by the night as it covers the earth in darkness. Wal nahari ida tajalla, He swears by the day as it brings forth the light over the world. And the being who created the male and the female. He swears by himself, the one who created the male and female. Verily, your efforts are diverse in nature. So there's one category those who give in the path of Allah and fear Allah. And they believe in the kalima of Tawheed. Allah will make the way to Jannah even more easy for them. On the other hand, those who are. Uh, Stingy, and they regard themselves superior and do not need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They consider themselves in, independent of Allah. وَاسْتَغْنَى مُسْتَغْنِي وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى And they reject Allah. They reject the kalima of Tawheed. فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْعُسْرَى We will make the path to Jahannam and difficulty is for them. And وَمَا يُغْنِي عَنْهُ مَالُهُ إِذَا تَرَدَّى his wealth will not help him when he is falling headlong into the fire. Um, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he talks about Jahannam, etc. Then at the end he says, And the one who fears Allah the most, he will be saved from the fire of Jahannam. The one who is giving from his wealth and he's seeking the purification from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this ayah is referring to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu The reason I'm mentioning it here is the following ayah. أُمَالِ أَحَدٍ عِنْدَهُ مِنْ نِعْمَةٍ تُجْزَى إِلَّا بْتِغَاءَ وَجْهِ رَبِّهِ الْأَعْلَى وَلَسُوفَ يَرْضَى So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and he doesn't have any expectation whatsoever when he is giving in the path of Allah he is not looking for any favor as a compensation when he's spending in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's not looking for any name or fame or any plaque or recognition or any compensation. And how does this tie up into the concept of what you're talking about is because 
one of the great acts of virtue and sadaqah of Abu Bakr Siddiq عنه, was that in the beginning when Nabi Sallallahu started his mission of da'wah then the rich leaders of the Quraysh they were rejecting his message because their economy was very much tied up with with shirk and they were making a commission on each idol as they were the caretakers of the idols of the Kaaba so Tawheed was really and it was an aqidah wise difficult for them to swallow but also it was economically nothing that would be difficult for them to stomach that's why they said how can all the gods become one god it's very strange how are we going to survive so they were against Tawheed and this has always been the scenario in the past the leaders who disbelieved and we covered this in detail when Hiraqal asked Abu Sufyan anhu, he said amongst the 10 or more questions one of them was who are the people following Muhammad sallallahu alayhi the rich or the the poor and when Abu Sufyan anhu said the poor at the end when he gives the full explanation what does he say this is how it is initially with the Anbiya so many of the poor downtrodden people were the early uh, Muhajirun the early Muslimun Sabiqun al-awwalun they were a few free men and noble men as well, including Abu Bakr and Uthman and Ali. But majority, many of them were poor. Amongst them are, of course, Bilal and Ammar and Yasir and his mother Sumayya and Khabbab and Arat, etc. So Abu Bakr amongst his many virtuous deeds is that he would buy those slaves that were being tortured. And the the masters, Ubay ibn Khalaf and Abu Jahal, and at that time Umar anhu as well, before Islam, would be torturing them, beating them. They would beat them so much they would get tired and then they would take turns beating them. Na'udhu billah. So much torture they went, underwent for the sake of Islam, for the sake of remaining steadfast on the deen. So Abu Bakr anhu would go to them and he would offer their price and they would say no. And then he would double, triple, quadruple, pay exorbitant amounts of money, sums of money, to purchase these slaves. And then as soon as he purchases them, he would right away immediately set them free. So his father, um, Abu Qahafa, who did not accept Islam, all the way until the Fatih of Makkah, he told his son Abu Bakr out of his concern for him, not having the belief in a, and concept of the Akhirah in mind, but looking from a worldly perspective, he said that what type of investment is this? You know, why are you buying slaves? When you buy a slave, you buy when the market is low, sell them is high. <laughs> right. So you should sell the slave, make money. You're not buying and selling it, you're buying and taking service. Khidma, not even that. You're buying and setting it free. Last, best, best case scenario, buy and sell business. Otherwise, you buy and use for yourself. Neither of the two. Third, final thing, lowest level is that why don't you buy strong slaves? that will have the Abdul Mawalat so that if you are getting in trouble they will defend you and also of course if they get in trouble you have to defend them but that was the two way pact that would be there in the Jahiliyyah and some of these slaves that you are purchasing are so weak and powerless emaciated they're, they're starving, hungry and um, they're al- literally some of them are almost about to die when he's rescuing them correct? so someone who was well fed by the master and well taken care of would not be the primary uh, type of slave that he's trying to save. He's, all, he's saving those who are in big trouble. 
So they were not in a good state. They were near dying. He said, why are you buying these weak ones? How are they going to help you ever if you are in trouble? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah about Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. He has no favor. He's looking forward to in compensation for his benevolent act of selfless charity. No ulterior motive. He buys a slave, frees it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only thing he's looking for is the pleasure of his Lord the Most High. And Allah already said, Well, a sofa yarda, and he will be pleased. Who will be pleased? Abu Bakr radiallahu Allah will make sure he is pleased. Right? Allah will make him pleased. He will say, What do you want? I will give you what you desire. SubhanAllah. So this is the culture, and people are killing left and right. So in that culture, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa came with a form of greeting. Now the form of greeting, every culture, every society in the past, every human culture and civilization has different forms of greetings. Whether it's the good morning or good evening or namaskaram, namaste, this all Hindus and Farsis and uh, every single language, there are different greetings. So the greeting that of Islam, and the, which is not from now only, but we can see in the hadith, it's been from the beginning of, uh, of uh, Adam al-Islam's time. Uh, is a very unique greeting. And the reason I was talking about setting the stage of the Jahiliya is that in that era, in that time, you could see how powerful the statement is. Because this is a statement where you are making dua for the individual and you're saying that Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That the, may the safety, security, salamity from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descend upon you. I'm making dua for you. I'm, when I'm sincerely making dua for you, then you have no cause to be afraid that I will be hurting you uh, and I will be attacking you. This is min qabil al-aqwal, from a statement of peace and a prayer of peace, as well as mercy and blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when I'm making this dua for you, then why would I hurt you? Why would I? So you are safe from me. And I'm asking Allah ta'ala to continue to keep you safe and protect you and preserve you. And the person will reply back, Wa alaykum wa salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As you know, if you reply the entire statement, it is 30 good deeds. And, and assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you say assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, 20. Assalamu alaykum is 10. Um, and saying salam first is a sunnah. And replying to the salam is wajib. Generally, the rule in the Sharia is that farad has the most reward, then wajib, then sunnah, then nafal. There are a few exceptions to the rule where the sunnah is more rewarding than the wajib. It's like one of those trivia questions in the fiqh exams. It's like a twisted question. Like, wait, wait, give me the examples of where the sunnah is more rewarding than the wajib. So the student will be, wait a second, how can the sunnah be? For example, you have zakat. And you have sadaqah. So zakat is more rewarding than sadaqah. If you have farad salah and you have nafal salah. So farad salah is more rewarding than nafal salah. Farad som, nafal som. So if you, you know, you may have heard, if you fast the entire year, well, five days of the year are haram. One month is farad. Remaining days, if you fast nafal versus one farad fast, then the reward of the farad fast is greater than the nafal fast of the whole year. 
And the Nafal Umrahs and the Nafal Hajj can never equal the Far al Hajj. This is actually proven from the hadith itself. The Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentions in a hadith Qudsi that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, the closest a person comes to me is through the Faraid. Thereafter, through the Sunan and Nawafil. The purpose of the Sunnahs and the Nawafil, you know, sometimes the people say, you know, oh, those are the pious people. Nek log, they pray all the Nawafil. Hum just say, gharib, gunegar, you know, hum say, farad ho jai to bari baat hai. That's it. We just pray the Farad. Nawafil are for the religious. Actually, who need the Nawafil more? We need it. Why? Because the objective of the Nawafil is to fill up the gaps in the performance of the Faraid. As it comes in the hadith on the day of Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say that, come on, let us first take the account of the Faraid, starting with Salah. And when the Salah will be judged, if there's a deficiency in it, then the deficiency will be filled up with the Nawafil. nawafil? Does he have any Nawafil to his credit? Then we can and take care of that. So you say that, okay, you just said, I'm going to right? You are the sinner. Okay, fine, let's go with that, your admission. Then guess what? You need Nawafil more than anyone else. All right? Because it's not just you, it's me, all of us, absolutely. We all need the Nawafil more. So the general rule is the farad is more rewarding, the Nawafil is less rewarding. But over here, saying salam first is sunnah, and replying to it is wajib but the reward of the sunnah is greater than the wajib because there are another other factors at play here other factor first of all why is saying salam first saying salam uh, replying when somebody says assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh you better respond right with the, with the exceptions that will follow In certain exceptions you don't have to respond but uh, uh, otherwise you should respond because a person has said salam and you're not responding ignoring him that's, that's a major sin right there you're bycutting a Muslim brother you're turning your back that's a sin so avoiding a sin is wajib. So it's a wajib action. But what is um, uh, more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The one who says salam first is more beloved. So therefore it's more rewarding. Uh, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, Al-Badi'u bil-salami bari'um min al-kibiri. The one who says assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi first is going to be what? Protected from kibir arrogance. Because sometimes... Yeah, yani, there are different levels of arrogance and the different levels of humbleness. The most humble one is the which one? The one who says salam first. Second level is the one who replies to the salam. Third one who is the least humble or i.e. arrogant is which one? Doesn't respond to the salam. Right, so this, is there any other scenario? These are the three scenarios. Right? One is the one who says salam alaikum first. He's the most humble. The one replies, MashaAllah, he's a good guy. I mean, he at least replied. And the one says, forget you, I don't even want to respond to you. Which one is that? That's the arrogant one. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was which category? Obviously the best. First category. Now, the Sahaba they're saying that we were, we were be striving our best, trying our hardest. Can we have one opportunity in his entire life to say, Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi before him first? And we never got that chance. Some or the other, miraculously, because he's a Nabi and he has miracles, mu'ajizat. Alright? Is that nobody could ever say Assalamu Alaikum before him. Every single time. So he always said Assalamu Alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh first. And when he would grab the hand and make musafaha, right? And the sunnah way of making musafaha uh, is that uh, to use both hands. As it comes in the hadith of Zayd radiallahu anhu, kana kafi bayna kafayhi. My hand was between his two hands. Only way is if you're using two hands. Then, uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam himself would uh, never leave the hand first. 
he would extend the salam so long until the opposite party would feel, hey, this handshake is getting a bit extended, perhaps it's uncomfortable for Rasulullah So they would begin to withdraw their hand and then he would release the hand. Is there any other example you can think of where um, you know, the uh, Sunnah Act is more rewarding than the Wajib Act? I was reading this commentary, it's not there, but when I read this one about the Salam, the other scenario came into my mind. And that is, subhanAllah, a scenario of Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, وَإِذَا قُرِئَ الْقُرْآنِ When the Quran is being recited, فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ وَأَنصِتُوا You better be quiet and listen attentively. لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ So that you can be deserving of the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So when the Quran is being recited, listening to the Quran is wajib. And reciting the Quran yourself, there is one level of recitation which is followed those we have granted the book they fulfill the haq and the right of istilawa the word haq indicates it's a further obligation because huquq and haq that someone's right is a farad like your wife has a haq that you give her nafqa sukna the children have a haq you have to provide for them and up to 2.5% of your wealth zakat the misakin have a haq can some random person come up to you and say I, you know I, uh, I have a haq and a right in one third of your wealth or one half of your wealth or 10% or any percent. He can't say that. He's a random person. In general, there's a haq in zakat. But how can I specifically say I have a haq? How do I have a haq in your wealth? Like, do you owe me on what? Did I, did I borrow money for you that I owe you? Or uh, do, I, do I have, you know, some, some gift for you, amanat for you? I was supposed to transfer, uh, transfer to you. How do you say that? You can't say haq. What does haq mean? Haq means a right. So yatrunaw haqqa tilawati. There's a right of the Qur'ans. Now how much is that right? There are different opinions. The, the simplest and easiest one is that minimum haq of the Qur'an is that it should be completed twice in a year. Once in Ramadan and once in the entire year outside Ramadan. Which is like unbelievably low based on the general practice. Because some Sahaba will finish it once a night, some every three nights, right. some in one rakat, some five days, some seven days. Majority, vast, vast majority were not once a night, frankly. Majority were seven days. Yeah, that's the vast majority of every seven days during a khatam. So this is like four khatams a month, minimum, minimum, right? Not outside of Ramadan. So that's like the vast, vast majority. That's why the Quran is divided into how many hizb? Seven hizb. Yeah. Right, so his number one, two, three, four. So it's divided, so there's a non stopping point. One seventh. So, from that perspective, twice a year is what? Like unbelievably low. Um, but from the perspective of the Ummah today, um, so m- many people, they, they, uh, they have the Khatma Quran party when they were young. After that, here and there, they might have attended some Qur'an Khani, they may have read a juz or half juz before the party was announced, the food time is there, Al-Fatiha. Or, otherwise, here and there, they may read Qur'an. But like, if you add it two, two times per year, and in the 10 years, you may have, if you made one khatam, that's 10 times two, 20. In 20 years, 40 khatams. Have you done 40 khatams? Like, if you want to backtrack it and start making up the debt, it's a lot. It can easily add up, right? Every year, two khatams. Because years go by, years and years, and then years turn into what? 
decades and decades turn into many decades right where we have not made a khatam anyway so there is a haq of the Quran is that much but beyond that reciting the Quran is what sunnah nafal rewarding is it act of virtue yes is it followed is it followed to recite Quran like randomly any day like Monday after Zohar you're just sitting in the masjid reading Quran so somebody said this person Monday is reading Quran sitting in not in Salah the Fatiha that's followed he's sitting reading the Quran so what's the hukum is it for the recitation? No, he finishes khatam of the year twice. So what is it? It's sunnah. You understand? So reciting the Quran is what? Sunnah. But if you're reciting loudly and you're talking, you have committed haram. And avoiding haram is? It's wajib. And the Quran says, uh, When the Quran is being recited, you better be quiet. Now between the two, whose action is more rewarding? The one who's reading actively or the one who's listening passively? The one who's reading. So that, 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 that's the whole discussion. No? The one who, that the one who is doing the uh, sunnah act is getting more reward than the one who is doing the wajib act. Yeah? That was the whole premise why we went into the tilawat discussion to begin with. Right? Do you understand what's happening? SubhanAllah. So likewise over here. Saying salam first is sunnah. But it's more rewarding than responding which is wajib. Um... So we are making dua of peace. This is the dua, this is this is the word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also uses in the Quran. The difference is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says salamun qawlan mir rabbir rahim. The scholars of tafsir say this is not a dua for the very simple fact that who is Allah making dua to? So when Allah ta'ala says salamun qawlan mir rabbir rahim, this is uh, in'am from Allah. This is ikram from Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is already deciding that he's sending down his his peace and salam. Um And this is uh, from his rahmah. That's why he says, Salamun qawlam min rabbir rahim. This is the peace that Allah is uh, deciding to uh, send down upon an individual as a manifestation of his mercy. And this is also uh, the statement of the malaika. The statement of the malaika, as we know, subhanAllah, there was one very mubarak, a blessed lady. Hadith al-Kubra radiyallahu ta'ala anha There's a hadith in this same Sahih Bukhari Where the words are Subhanallah Jibreel alayhi salam comes to Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And says Fa'idha atatka hiya When she comes to you back After I leave Hadith radiyallahu anha Faqara alayhi salam min rabbiha Then convey to her the salam That Allah has sent through me as an angel to her, mir rabbiha from her rabb. Salam from her rabb. Wa minni and from myself. So this is a salam from Allah, and this is also a salam from Jibreel alayhi salam. Reference for this is, um, because this is, is this really made up or real? Like salam from, to Jibreel alayhi salam, from Jibreel alayhi salam, from Allah ta'ala in this world. It's in Sahih al-Muslim, Kitab al-Fadail, Ba'u min Fadail Khadija radiallahu anha. Sahih Muslim, very, Authentic hadith in Bukhari as well. We're coming to it. Another one um, regarding Aisha radiallahu anha. Rasulullah sallallahu said, "Hada Jibril yuqriki as-salam." Look, this is Jibril as-salam just came. He is conveying salam to you. This is Kitab al-Fadail al-Sahaba, Sahih Bukhari, Bab al-Fadil Aisha, the chapter on the virtues of Aisha 
from the book of the virtues of Sahaba in Sahih al-Bukhari Allahu Akbar um, and when did this whole salam begin in this dunya it began in the past we see the hadith about Adam alayhi salam in Sahih al-Bukhari Kitabu Ahadith al-Anbiya the book on the stories of Anbiya alayhi salam chapter Babu Khalqi Adam Mudriyati chapter of the creation of Adam chapter of the creation of Adam alayhi salam we see this hadith, beautiful hadith, that um, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam, then he said, Idhab fasallim ala ula'ika min al-malaika. Oh Adam, he is teaching him, go and say assalamu alaykum to those malaika. He taught him how to say assalamu alaykum. Fastami'ma yuhayyunak. Then listen closely, how do they respond to you? Tahiyyatuka wa tahiyyatu dhurriyatik. This will be your way of greeting, and this will be the way that your progeny, the children, dhurriya is descendants, progeny, that how they will uh, greet one another. Faqala assalamu alaikum. Right. You know, um, sometimes if you think, uh, you know, you just pick up. Anything that we have, whether it's food, whether it's clothing, the basic things. If you think clothing, like what's the origin of clothing? How do you know, how, how long would it take to figure out that, oh, you know, you just see a random plant in the jungle, it's, it's, it happens to be a cotton. You take that cotton fiber and you make thread out of it and you put the thread together to make the cloth and then you cut the cloth and make the clothes. Or like food, like you, basic thing like bread. How, would you, how long would it take for a human being who's just planted on the earth for the first time to figure out that there's a random, it looks like a weed, but it's actually some grain of wheat. And you take those kernels and you make flour, and with the flour you add the water to make dough, and with the dough you bake it. First you make the fire, then you bake it, it becomes bread. Like trial and error, trial and error, how many centuries would it take to figure it out, right? So how did we, how did we learn this? This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as He's teaching here, Adam alayhi salam, this is what you have to say, salam. It's mentioned in the Quran. When there was a comp- when the uh, angels they had the objection. Remember when your Lord told the angels that I'm creating a Khalifa, my vice chairman on the earth. Are you going to create a human being who's going to create shed the blood because they had looked ahead in the law al-Mahfud? What's going to happen? We are praising you, glorifying you, Allah. So why, what, what's the purpose of the creation of Adam? I know that which you do not know. So it goes on to say, And Allah Ta'ala taught Adam the names of all the necessary things. It's not just the name. What's the point of a name? It's the name and the purpose. Right, so for example, somebody was mentioning, you know, subhanAllah, it's different, you know, we don't, not putting anything, uh, any, uh, anything higher or lower, or saying someone is more qualified or less qualified in the following statement, disclaimer. I'm just giving an example. Somebody said that if he got married, their fadail and virtues and, and uh, benefits and challenges for getting married locally or from out of state or out of country. In this case, from a very remote village. In a third world country, for example, he got married, he brought his, his spouse, his wife here. So he was saying that from one aisle of Walmart on the right all the way to the left. So it took about five to six hour complete orientation and tour. Every single aisle. This is how the bakery works. 
this is how the fish area this is how the household area this is fula 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 the clothing no he had to do yeah he's experienced the, the challenges of a person who brought his wife from some area with no electricity in the middle of nowhere from a village in some country xyz right so you understand my point kitna so he was he was of course he was having a lot of challenge forget about oh she can't drive we're talking about way more education required right driving is like inshallah within a decade or so right so we are at that level <laughs> so when he was going through he was t- i was thinking subhanallah the eye came in my mind right away is this is the weird way by now you know how my brain is a bit weird i was thinking wa allama adam al asma kullaha so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he sent adam al salam into the world he taught him that these are all the things the name what's the point of a name if you don't even know what it does when he when allah taala taught the names ie he said look this is for example the cotton fiber this is how you're going to make clothes and this is the wood this is how you're going to burn it to cook food so it helped a lot otherwise trial and error putani how many it would take a millennia to figure basic stuff out so so it's huh that makes sense yeah so it's right in the this was the exam by the way you know the exam right now people get so lost in the exam they don't even did like asma patani kaun se naam he just taught him some names is names of what things in this this world wa'lam asma kullaha thumma aradahum 'ala al-malaika the same information was presented to the angels then what happened the exam allah taala said okay you are objecting why you created adam let's do take an exam when he took the exam adam alayhi salam knew the names and the properties and the purposes of all of these things in the world and the malaika they forgot قال انبئوني باسماء هؤلاء tell me the names of all the things and the purposes of all these things in kunnu sadiqin they say qalu la ilma lana illa ma 'allamtana oh we we forgot we don't have knowledge nangandar alim hakim right qala ya adam he said oh adam anbi'uhum bi asma'ihim you tell them respond what's the answer so he falamma anba'uhum bi asma'ihim then he responded allah taala said didn't i say that i know what's going on why are you objecting so over here again we see how subhanallah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like you know when you have little kids we teach them salam karo salam karo say salam then when covid came he said salamat karo salamat karo <laughs> right don't say salam you know subhanallah see what happens when the blessing comes back we forget there was a time when we could not say salam uh, then after the vaccine came and everything then we had the himma for the fist bumps and the uh, uh, the other one, elbow bumps but actual musafa was gone right Anyway, the way we teach the kid, you should say salam, or if it's pandemic time, don't say salam. Whatever. Likewise, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is teaching Adam Alayhi Salam, and He said, "Go say salam." And then what happened in this hadith? Beautiful hadith. First time, my friend, listen attentively how the angels will reply. This is your greeting in the greeting of your progeny. فَقَالَ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ He said, "السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ." Allah sent me. Let me hear now what the response. قَالُوا They replied, "السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ." MashaAllah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah an-nur has revealed an ayah ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu o those who believe la tadkhulu buyutan ghayra buyutikum never enter into anyone's home besides your own home hatta tastanisu until you take permission wa tusallimu ala ahliha and you say assalamu alaykum so one yani nakedness in any form or being even in inappropriate dress in front of your own family members who are maharim as well as non maharim for sure 
is something that is so harmful, so destructive to society that intentionally engaging that practice is absolutely forbidden. But even any scenario where unintentionally a glance may fall, even on family members, is so strictly forbidden and prohibited that even though all the prohibitions definitely are not in the Quran because the Quran is, has only basic principles yet this order and instruction is found in the Quran in Surah An-Nur wherein Allah SWT is talking about the etiquettes of saying Assalamu Alaikum before you enter someone's home so that they are and taking permission do not enter without saying Assalamu Alaikum one obvious reason was that having the vestibule, then the lobby in the front room, parlor room, family room, dining room, and fulah, and then, you know, kitchen, and, and, then dining, and then bedroom separate, that whole concept. Even, in fact, whatever, study and, dine, and entertainment room, and, all of, and basement and upper story, none of those existed. So it was just very simple. You come in, front door, and then that's, that one room is everything. So I had one classmate from Nepal, from and he was with me in, in Iftah course, in the Mufti course. So at the end, you know, we had the books. He, w- he was saying, he was very stressed out. Mulana Farooq Nepali. So he was saying, what am I going to do with these books? So then I said, you can take them home. Like, you have problems with shipping, we can help you out. He said, you don't understand, where am I going to place them? Then I said that, you know, you're a very hardworking guy. You can make some bookshelves and place it. He said, no, 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 where am I going to put the bookshelf? I said, put the bookshelf like some corner. If you don't have your own, just put it in the side of the... He said, where in the house am I going to put it? He said, but you don't understand. I live in the Himalaya mountains in a village. I said, okay. So then tell me, describe. I don't understand. I want to learn. I've always been curious. So then he said, okay, you want to understand why I have a problem? It's because it's, the house is made of grass. I said, really? Yeah. And then the, the floor is just mud. Wow. And he said, we have these charpais the things and you know we sleep outside sometimes in the summer and then we come inside when it's raining and um, and then we just that that one room that's it that's your family room dining room living room bedroom everything and then we pick those uh, things and put them on the side where am I going to put the books subhanallah so then um, how did you come here how did you end up here become an alim because my mother, she used to raise the sheep and, and she made so much effort with the milk of the sheep she used to sell in the wool. She used to save the money to send me to a maktab in another village. She told me that I want you to become an alim of the deen. With that money, she saved it, saved it. And she worked so hard just to pay for my tuition. And from there, full on long story, he went to Jamit Rumi Islam, Binuri Town, Karachi. And from Karachi, came to South Africa. SubhanAllah. So, so this is... This is why Allah Ta'ala says here, Tusallimu, say salam. Because when you go in, it's like potentially you're going straight into the master bedroom. Right? This, the, so this is the command and the wujub of saying, Assalamu alaikum before you enter someone's home. Moving on, this is not only a command, this is considered a sha'ir of Islam, a sign and symbol of our deen. So for example, adhan. Uh, Sharan, the hukum of the adhan is a sunnah. For example, if you perform the Isha Salah without calling the adhan, then the Isha Salah, is it valid or invalid? It's valid. Do you have to make qada? You don't. 
So that means that adhan is obviously a good thing. It's recommended. It's a sunnah practice. But it's a, such a sunnah practice which has another perspective which raises its status much higher. It is called sha'ir, plural, shi'ar. What is a shi'ar? <coughs> shi'ar is a symbol. Uh, a, a symbol of Islam. A unique characteristic that defines Islam. It's called a shi'ar. And the plural of sha'ar is sha'ir. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمَن يُعَظِّمْ شَعَائِرَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّهَا مِنْ تَقْوَى الْقُلُوبِ That whoever shows respect and ta'zeem of the sha'ir, symbols of Islam, this is a sign of taqwa. A lot of times people say that, for example, oh, if the, the Quran fell down, na'udhu billah, if somebody picks it up and you know, touches it to their head, or kisses it, puts it up, or dusts it, they say, oh, you know, what is this bid'ah innovation, what are you doing? Where's the proof for this? So all of such practices of showing adab and respect, they can all be derived from this ayah from Surah Al-Baqarah in the second verse. Safa and Marwa are mountains, but they are from the Sha'ir of Allah. The Quran is the, the printed Mus'haf is of the Kalam of Allah. And now if that's not a Sha'ir of Allah, what else is a Sha'ir of Allah? The Quran is a symbol of Islam. And that's why tahqir and Na'udhu Billah, desecration of the, of the Mus'haf of the Qur'an intentionally is what? An act of kufr. A person will become a kafir. It will be, ex- it will be expelled from the full of Islam. All his good deeds of his life will be cancelled. His nikah will break. All his hajj will be cancelled. His entire life of salat, zakat, som, hajj, everything will be gone down the drain. That's the natija of 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 irtidad, of kufr. It's the amal of kufr to desecrate the Quran. So respecting the Quran is the amal of iman on the opposite side. So anyway, assalamu alaikum. This has become a shair, alamat of Islam. It's an indication of the deen of Islam. Just like, for example, United States of America. So what's the symbol? The flag is the first thing that comes to mind, right? The, the, lo- the logo, the motto, the bald eagle, right? These are the symbols of America. So likewise, you have the symbols of Islam. One of the ayats that indicate that it is a shair is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لا تقولوا لمن ألقى إليكم السلامة لست مؤمنا. There's a whole shan al-nuzul of this ayah, sabab al-nuzul, that the mushrik was attacking everyone in the battle, in the active battle, killing everyone, killing everyone, whoever comes in front of him. He was uh, the hero of the battlefield on the mushrikin side. Finally, when Sahabi got him, pinned him down, then he says, Assalamu alaykum. So then he's like, yeah, right, you're going to escape from me now. I finally got you. And he went ahead and killed him. So this ayah was revealed. The one who says, Assalamu alaikum, never ever say to him, you're not a true mu'min. You seek the worldly spoils from him. Allah has maghani kathira. You likewise, before you were mushrik. Don't forget, you were mushrik too. Allah has done ihsan upon you, He guided you to Islam. Now somebody says, Assalamu alaikum, you say you're not a mu'min. You can't do that. So many times it happens where we have the hybrid events, the shahada followed by nikah. You talked about the hybrid ones? No? Okay. So, so the thing is, who's, who's shahada? The groom, not the bride, right? Because if it's the bride, then they don't even have to even bother. They'll say, Ummasanatu min al utul kitab bin qabliku. Right, the Ahli Kitab. But if the groom is a 
is a Christian or, or a Jew or atheist or Hindu or whatever. <coughs> we have these scenarios where there's two functions in one. So you do the shahada of the groom and then right after that you do the same time the, the nikah. So uh, the question obviously comes, circumstantial evidence is that subhanAllah, why are you becoming a Muslim young man? You know, so uh, like uh, I'm not trying to say that this is necessarily linked with the nikah, I'm going to perform what? In like five minutes, like not five minutes, like immediately we finish the shahada, right after that we do the nikah. How are you supposed to separate these two events? If you actually believe in Allah and you believe Allah is God and you believe Muhammad is the Prophet of Allah, couldn't you have taken the shahada like a week ago, three weeks ago? Like you have this massive wedding plan. Did you plan it overnight like that? No. So the planning of the wedding is happening for so long. But the shahada never happened. When, is the, when did you schedule the shahada? Like right before the nikah. So how, I mean, circumstantial evidence is very strongly indicates that there is a correlation here. <laughs> The, the, the shahada is lillahi or liwalidil habiba for the father of the mahbub or for Allah is the mahbub here. What's going on? Is it for the sake of Allah or is it for the father-in-law, mother-in-law, family of the of the beloved? What's going on? So you you know you have to you, you think about it. But then what what is the hukum of the sharia? The hukum of the sharia is nahkumu ala zawahir. We pass the judgment based on apparent condition. Wasara'iruhum ilallah. We leave their condition of their hearts to Allah. We will not say that it's, it's obvious you become Islam just to get the girl because the family said that shart and condition for the marriage is Islam. Otherwise you would have become Muslim earlier. Otherwise you're entering Islam. You really know what Islam is about? Tell me something about Islam. You're not going to quiz the guy. You're not going to test the guy. You're not going to embarrass him publicly nor privately in the office. You'll say, you encourage him though. You'll say that you are taking the shahada, right? Why don't you also Make an effort to uh, learn about the deen of Islam and subhanAllah. That's it. We cannot say. One time, do you know that behind uh, North Avenue, on the other side of this masjid, the, there's a Imam Bara, Shia's masjid. Anyone has seen it? Huh? Yeah, so way in the beginning, one time, uh, there was one uh, Iranian girl with some, uh, um, she had a French boyfriend. They were living in downtown. They, were, they came for Shahada slash Nikah. But they, their GPS mistake, they came here. <laughs> so when they came here, they were explaining everything to me. I said that, okay, Allah lekar aya, right? So <laughs> why should I send them? I could not sit here and say, oh, go to the Shia Masjid there. You came to the wrong place. I just did not have the heart to say that. So then I said that, okay, we will do, we'll do the, you know, you came here, maybe you have a good experience. One day, if there's an issue in your life, you'll come back. Allah will give hidayah. You never know. Why we send people to the Shia Masjid? So I said, no, we'll do it. Inshallah. And the nikah. But then she said, You have to say, I said, I'll do the shahada. You have to do the shahada on the mic and nikah on the mic. I said, Okay, fine, we'll do it. This is way in the beginning. So it was after our namaz, the people were here. I said, that, Look, <laughs> I said, Anybody has any question about what's going to happen? Hold your questions. You'll definitely answer them in due time. Let this uh, <laughs> process go to completion and thereafter meet me. So, because she insisted, you have to. I said, I'll say, Ashhadu Allah, Ilaha Illallah, Ashhadu Muhammad Rasulullah. No, no, no. It has to be Aliyun Khalifatullah. Oh uh, no, khali, uh, what is it? Waliullah, wa Khalifatul Rasulillah. So, is there any doubt that Ali is a Wali of Allah? No. 
Sayyid al-Awliya. In fact, the silsila of the awliya goes to Ali radiallahu anhu. Naqshbandi silsila, etc. And he is a khalifa Rasulullah sallallahu The difference is he's not the first khalifa. He's the fourth. I'm not going to say he's the first one. I'm not going to say that Abu Bakr, Umar, and Usman were ghasib, took over. I want to just say he's a khalifa to Rasulullah. Now, is that part of the kalima? Absolutely not. But is it a correct statement? It's true. Do I have the wrong aqidah? No. But the thing is, you have to have like a solution-based approach. You can't just throw people away. So, it was here on the same mic. I don't know if you changed the microphone, but from the same place. So, in the, in the beginning time, way in the beginning of the masjid, I don't think I would do it anymore. This is like right when the masjid opened, like maybe a couple months in. So, uh, I did the over there. I said, so people, I have to give credit to our musallis, mashallah. They have so much muhabbat, aqidah, that no, if you would do it anywhere else, there would be an uproar. I said it, I gave it. <laughs> so watch out, disclaimer. The following <laughs> nikah will be slightly unique, but anybody has any questions about what's happening, I'm open to discussion afterwards. Just, just bear through it. So we did the Rasulullah. <laughs> then I said, Ali and Waliullah. He said, Ali and Waliullah. I said, He's a Khalifa of Rasulullah. Then, you never know. See, the thing is, if you look at the hadith, Bismillah, go in Jahannam, take out more, take out more. Then at the end, who will he take out of Jahannam? He has absolutely not a single good deed to his credit, except for what? He says, he said, La ilaha one time. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told Ali radiallahu anhu in the battle of Khaybar, what he said, Ya Ali, la ilaha bika rajulan. Same Ali. Khairun laka minat dunya wa mafiya. Oh, if you can teach a person to recite the kalima, one person is better for you than the whole world when it contains. So if I have to do a little drama for the sake of saving one person fire jahannam, that may be considered a selfless act. But better than the whole world or whatever it contains for me, it's a very selfish act. It's selfish and selflessness. Actually, at the end of the day, there's no act of selflessness from an Islamic perspective. Because whenever you're being selflessly helping anyone, who are you depositing in whose account? Your own account, right? So if selfless sacrifice is a hard pill to follow, I don't want to be selfless. Okay, just look at it the other way. You're being the most self- selfish by helping people because you're putting in your own account of good deeds. So I think that SubhanAllah, you know, he will end up, uh, inshallah, this, and, and we try to give him the best experience. Now, if they have any, sometimes when they perform nikah, I tell them that I pray and hope I will never see you in a professional capacity. <laughs> Because whenever you have problems, you come back. But in this case, I was making dua that he does come back in good times, bad times, whatever, and he has a ta'aluq. Anyway, Allahu Akbar. This is a, uh, uh, we are, uh, the ayah says, لا تقولوا لمن أقى إليكم السلام Whoever says, السلام عليكم, don't say, لست مؤمنا. كذلك كنتم من قبل, you yourself were like that. من الله عليكم, Allah did ihsan upon you and he guided you. So this is a shahir of Islam. And we are not supposed to Judge anyone, we are supposed to take it on the external and leave their condition of the heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, when a person says salam, we cover the whole thing that it's sunnah to say it first and it's wajib to respond. Who, does not, who do we not say salam to? Number one, if you do not say it to a disbeliever, a kafir. What did Allah ta'ala teach Musa alayhi salam? What's a salam to a kafir? Wassalamu ala man al huda. Assalamu ala man al huda is a salam from Surah Taha when Musa alayhi salam said to Fir'aun, which means that may peace be on those who follow the path of guidance. So it's a, it's a qualified statement. If you follow the path of guidance, which we hope you do, then salam upon you. And if you don't, then we cannot make the dua of salam. Um, because in Jannah, the people of Jannah, they'll say each other, تَحِيَّةَهُمْ فِيهَا 
Salam. I'm not ending right now. I will be, I guess. But this is this is the ayah. Da'wahum fiha. Subhanakallahumma wa tahiyyatum fiha. Salam. This ayah in the Quran. And then we have. Um, so we shouldn't say salam, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to a kafir. Now what happens here, we'll notice that people we're not supposed to say assalamu alaikum to, we do, and people we're not, uh, we, we, we should not, we, we should not supposed, we're not supposed to, we are saying salam to them. And those we are supposed to, we are not. It's reversing it. So a kafir, what happens many times, uh, like in interfaith or welcoming people to masjid or whatever, different events, for non-Muslims, people end up saying, we greet you with a greeting of Islam, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and all that. So you're not supposed to technically say that to a non-Muslim. Um, if there is a Asi Mujahir, Mujahir with a raw, not a Mujahid with a dal. Mujahir, what's a Mujahir? Mujahir comes from the word Jahrun. Jahrun means loud, open. Like you have Jahri prayer and the Siri prayer. Siri, Dhuhr, Asar, Jahri is Fajr, Maghrib, and Isha. Jahrun means to be loud. So Asi Mujahir is the one who is sinful and he's openly uh, does his sin. Blatantly, openly does it and he has no shame in front of Allah or of the creation of Allah. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah ta'ala will forgive every sinner illa al-mujahir. The sahaba said, who is wama al-mujahir? Except for the mujahir. Who is a mujahir? Ya Rasulullah, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, the one who commits a sin, Allah hides his sin, then he himself does not have rest until he exposes his sin. And this has become very common because of social media. So people committing the sins and they're putting it out. Why are they putting it out? Because it's not considered a sin. It's whatever, it's a group date. So it's two young men, two young women, not related, they're having, partying together, and posting the picture of the, of the date, right? So, so this is, you're committing a sin, and then what are you doing it? You're posting it. So this is a mujahir. So there are less chances of forgiveness. So the fuqaha mentioned an asli mujahir, a person who's sinful, and he's openly sinning, blatantly sinning. Again, it's prohibited to make ibtida bis salam, because salam is a form of honoring. When a fasiq is praised, the arch of Allah shakes. Likewise, if a person is uh, you, uh, engaged in relieving himself, you should not say salam. Now someone will say, you wouldn't go to the bathroom and say salam anywhere. But remember the culture and the environment was that people would be relieving themselves out in the, in the open. They didn't have the running water and toilets and bathrooms closed. So outside as well, if somebody is, is uh, subhanAllah engaged in, uh, in relieving himself, you should not say assalamu alaikum. And this is a very beautiful tafsir that applies to us because we don't find people urinating here and there alhamdulillah in this environment but we find all kinds of other sins so when I talk about oh if someone is urinating in, out in the field you shouldn't say salam like, come on how relevant is that but guess what and the ayah comes to mind which is super relevant because everywhere around us there's bars there's casinos there's discos there's fulah all kinds of haram and one of the sifat of the mu'minun in fact the specific word is ibad rahman the slaves of rahman what does Allah Ta'ala say وَإِذَا مَرُّوا بِاللَّغْوِ مَرُّوا كِرَامًا when they pass by places of sin, you hear the music blasting in the disco, the lights, whatever, any haram thing. So should you go check it out? What's going on? Oh, I just want to know what the fitna is like. No. Without marru billaghwi, the ibadur rahman, when they pass by the places of sin, marru kirama, they pass by in a noble manner. Meaning ignoring it. Now the tafsir of this, like how should he pass by? The scholar of tafsir say, just like now if somebody is urinating, where you see a wall for example, it says, do not urinate here. Right? So right under the sign, what's happening? Right, you got it, right? So the person is urinating right there, where it says, do not urinate here. 
parking wali they say they have the same musibat we don't have that musibat where it says do not park wahi park kar rahe so amire parking is here so anyway so we have so likewise so if you any person when you see if somebody is relieving himself and you pass by how would you pass by come on you just ignore it and go by right that that the one example encapsulate the entire adab of when you pass by anyone engaged in any sin with a maru billahi maru kirama they pass by in a noble manner allah so anyway in that in that scenario we shouldn't say assalam somebody's taking a shower you don't say assalam if somebody is engaged in tilawa somebody is making tilawa you're not supposed to say assalam what are you supposed to do fastami'u lahu wa ansitu you're supposed to be silent and listen or move on but don't say assalam someone is engaged in dua Anyway, the guy is actually already doing dua and you come up to him and say salam somebody is engaged in a dars like right now they come right some like some, it happens all the time so over in the in subhanallah we 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 talking to somebody so we have the culture but salam in they don't even say salam but then when you teach them in the first year the students they have the jazba okay i got to say salam so when they first come there's no fresh students now we are at the end of the academic year so i'm not calling out anyone but in the beginning when they are taught oh you're supposed to say salam to your ustad so we're talking to somebody and somebody's talking you're talking to me they're just interfering saying assalamu alaikum salam. so somebody's engaged in conversation you don't break the conversation and say assalamu alaikum um someone's engaged in dhikr someone's engaged in dars tadris learning right so these are all scenarios now someone is engaged in uh, in a major major sin you're not supposed to but there's an ex- say salam to him first but the exception for that is if you want to save your life for example they say if there's a hakiman zaliman a oppressive tyrant tyrant king and by not saying salam first if you will be tortured he will say you know you disrespect me then it is permissible in that case all right so these are some basic etiquettes about salam may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us going back to the actual matan of the hadith was taqra'u salam we say salam to those whom you know and those whom you don't know the idea behind it of course is that we're not limiting it to those that we are familiar with and we uh, have friendship with but we extend this sense of greeting to everyone else those who we don't know as well rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said and i conclude this beautiful hadith that uh salam has been linked directly with entrance into jannah nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said lan tadkhulu aljannata hatta tu'minu you can never enter jannah until you have iman wa lan tu'minu hatta tahabu and you can never have iman until you love one another so first you can never enter jannah without iman and you can never have complete iman until you love one another afala adullukum ala shay'in Shall I not inform you of something? إِذَا فَعَلْتُمُوهُ When you do it, تَحَابَبْتُمْ It will increase love amongst you. So if you do the amal, it will increase love. And if you have love for each other, you'll have iman. And if you have iman, you'll enter jannah. That's the whole progression. أَفَلَا أَدُلُّكُمْ عَلَىٰ شَيْئًا This is how Nabi Wasallam is setting the stage for the final hukum he's giving to increase our desire for it. أَفَلَا أَدُلُّكُمْ He asks the question, should I not tell you? Alashin, such a thing. If you do it, it will increase love amongst you. What is that? Spread salam amongst yourselves. Such a simple thing. So we have to give vogue to this and revive this sunnah of Rasulullah. It will remove the animosity in our hearts. Because when, when you do it with the sincere intention that I make dua for your salamity, for your safety, then whatever 
ill feeling we may have regarding that person, we will be removing it from our hearts. And once you have a clean heart, that's another pathway and to enter Jannah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the reality of this. Wa akhru da'wan, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.